Come in, come in, Mrs. Trigwell. Sit down. My partner is sorry he cannot attend to you, as arranged, but there will be no complications. His wife was unexpectedly struck down by something this morning, and though, thank goodness, she's not exactly at death's door, he would find it harder to concentrate on your, thank goodness, smaller problem. His mind might wander, his hand tremble, so you're safer with me. His x-ray indicates two fillings, one of them a wee, toty, tiddler of a job, and I am so sure of my skill that I promise you will feel no pain if I work without anaesthetic. But maybe you are nervous and want it even so. No? Splendid. I am starting the motor, which lower and tilts this chair so easily and smoothly that your heart and semicircular canals have suffered no shock or disturbance. The Trendelenburg position, that is what we call the position you are in, Mrs. Chigwell. This chair gets you into it and out of it in a manner which ensures you cannot possibly faint. I wonder who Trendelenburg is, or was. Rinse your mouth, let me kick inside. Oh, oh. And if you want to sneeze, gargle, hiccup, or blow your nose, just raise a finger of your left hand, and I will stop what I am doing almost at once. But here goes. Chigwell. Chigwell, an English name. Yes, there are a lot of your kind in Scotland nowadays, but you'll never hear me complain. Do I bother you talking away like this? No? Good. You probably realise I do it to stop your imagination wandering, as it would tend to do if I worked in perfect silence. There is, let us face it, something inherently sinister in lying absolutely passive while a stranger in a white coat, no matter how highly qualified, does things you cannot see to this hole in your head, between your jaw and your brain, inside this dirty wee cavity. I am opening in a bone of your skull. Even the presence of Miss Mackenzie, my assistant here, might not stop your subconscious mind cooking up weird fantasies if we dentists like barbers had not a professional tendency to gossip. Which reminds me of a cartoon I saw in a bound volume of old punch magazines. A barber says, How would you like your hair cut, sir? To a bored-looking aristocratic type slumped in his chair who says, in a silence broken only by the busy snip-snap of the scissors. Sometimes I hear myself saying ridiculous things, utterly absurd things, just to avoid that deathly silence. But if you prefer silence, just raise two fingers of your right hand, and silent I will be. But you like the chatter? Good. Rinse your mouth again. No, my worst enemy could never accuse me of being a Scottish nationalist. I don't approve of Scotland or Ireland, both Irelands, or England, Argentina, Pakistan, Bosnia, etc. In my opinion, nations, like religions and political institutions, have been rendered obsolete by modern technology. As Margaret Thatcher once so wisely said, there is no such thing as society. And what is a nation but a great big example of our non-existent society? Margaret had the right idea. 
denationalize, privatize. When all our national institutions are privatized, the British Isles will no longer be a political identity and good riddance CI. The USSR has vanished. I hope the USA and the United Kingdom follow its example. Last week, a little wider please, a man said to me, if you refuse to call yourself a Scot, or a Briton, or a Tory, or a Socialist, or a Christian, what do you call yourself? What do you believe in? I am a Partick Thistle supporter, I told him, and I believe in virtual reality. Do you know Partick Thistle? It's a non-sectarian Glasgow football club. Rangers FC is overwhelmingly managed and supported by Protestant zealots. Celtic FC by Catholics. But the Partick Thistle supporters anthem goes like this. We hate Roman Catholics. We hate Protestants too. We hate Jews and Muslims. Partick Thistle, we love you. My friend Miss Mackenzie is looking distinctly disapproving. I suspect that Miss Mackenzie dislikes my singing voice. Or maybe she's religious. Are you religious, Miss Mackenzie? No answer. And she's religious. Fine, rinse your mouth. Second filling coming up. And I insist on giving you a wee jag, but you won't feel it. Did you feel it? Of course not. My wife disagrees with me. She's a Scottish nationalist and a socialist. Can you imagine a more ridiculous combination? She's a warrior, that woman. She's worried about overpopulation, industrial pollution, nuclear waste, rising unemployment, homelessness, drug abuse, crime, the sea level, the hole in the ozone layer. Only a democratic government responsible to the will of the majority can tackle these problems, she says. How will it do that? says I. By seizing the big companies who are polluting and impoverishing and unemploying us, says she, and using the profits on public work, education and health care. You'll never get that, I tell her. Because prosperous people don't want it and poor people can't imagine it. Only a few in between us like you believe in such nonsense. You're probably guessed she's a school teacher. But the year 2000, I tell her, these problems will have been solved by the right kind of headgear. Even the modern hat of the broad-brimmed sort, worn by Australians and Texans and Mexicans, will protect you from skin cancer. Hatters should advertise them on television. To hell with the ozone layer, wear a hat. Hats, Mrs Chigwell, hats. At the start of this century, everybody wore them. Toppers for upper class and professional men, Bowlers for the middling folk, cloth caps for the workers. Bareheaded folk were almost thought as shocking as nudists, because their place on the social scale was not immediately obvious. I suspect that hats became unfashionable because we passed through a, a, a liberty, equality and fraternity phase, or imagined we were in one. But we're coming out of it again, and by the end of the century everybody will have headgear. Their sanity will depend on it. Am I boring you? Uh, shall I change the subject? Would you like to suggest another topic of conversation? No? 
rinse your mouth out all the same. The hat of the future, in my opinion, will be a broad-rimmed safety helmet with hinged ear flaps and a mouthpiece which can be folded down to work as a mobile telephone. It will also have visor like old suits of armour or modern welders have, but when pulled down over your face, the inside will work as a telescreen. The engine needed to drive these sets could be tapped straight from the action of the viewer's heart. It would use up less energy than walking down a flight of stairs. The difference between one hat and another will be the number of channels you can afford. The wealthy will have no limit to them, but the homeless and unemployed will benefit too. I'm not one of those heartless people who despise the unemployed for watching television all day. Without some entertainment, they would turn to drugs, crime and suicide even more than they're doing already. But these video helmets will provide richer entertainment than we get nowadays from these old-fashioned box TVs, which to my eyes have already looked prehistoric. Relics of the wood and glass age. BVR, before virtual reality. You've heard about virtual reality? Yes? No? It's a helmet of the sort I've just described. You wear it with a kind of overall suit equipped with electronic pressure pads so that you not only see and hear, but you feel you're inside the television world you are watching. Miss Mackenzie is pulling faces at me because she knows what I am going to say and thinks it may shock you since it refers to sex, but I promise that not one bad word will pass my lips. These helmet suits not only give sensations of life and movement in beautiful, exciting surroundings, they also, if you desire it, give the visual and sensual experience of an amorous encounter with a partner of your choice. Perhaps Clint Eastwood, in your case, Mrs. Chigwell, Anna Magnani in mine, although it shows how old I am. Any professional person who remembers Anna Magnani in bitter rice is obviously on their verge of retirement or senility. And so, I'm afraid, is she. Not they ever saw her in bitter rice, a film for adults only. I only encountered the first love of my life through her posters and publicity photos. I wonder what Anna Magnani looks like nowadays. Excuse me while I wash my hands. We are on the verge of completion. You are still quite comfortable? Good. Here we go again, and remember I am talking nonsense. Nothing but nonsense. The Hat of Tomorrow, an audio-visual helmet, with or without the suit, will not only release you into an exciting world of your own choice, it will shut out the dirty, unpleasant future my wife keeps worrying about. It will give you marijuana or heavy drug sensations without damaging the health. Of course, intelligent people like you and I, Mrs. Chigwell, will use it for more than escapist entertainment. We will use it to talk to friends and educate ourselves. Children of four will be lined with helmets, giving them the experience of a spacious, friendly classroom where beautiful, wise, playful adults teach them everything their parents want them to know. Schools will become things of the past, and teachers too, 
since a few hundred well-scripted actors will be able to educate the entire planet. And think of the saving in transport. When the lessons stopped, they could take the helmet off and bingo, they're home again, unless the parents switch them onto a babysitter channel. All right, says my wife after hearing me thus far. What about homelessness? Your helmets can't shut out foul weather and poisoned air. They can have combined with the right overalls, I tell her. In tropical countries like India, homeless people live and sleep quite comfortably in the streets. Now, it is a widely known fact that our armed forces have warehouses stacked with suits and respirators designed to help them survive on planet Earth after the last great nuclear war has made everybody homeless. But the last great nuclear war has been indefinitely postponed. Why not add virtual reality visors and pressure pads to these suits and give them to our paupers? Tune them into a channel of a warm Samoan beach under the stars with a partner of their choice and they'll happily pass a rainy night in the rubble of a burnt-out housing scheme and please rinse your mouth out. Don't chew anything hard for another couple of hours. The chair is now restoring you to a less prone position. Bye-bye, Mrs Chigwell. The receptionist will give you the bill, and it might be a wise to arrange an appointment in perhaps six months from now. Whatever the future of the human race, it is not likely to dispense with dentists. You will gather that that story was written uh, sometime in the 1980s. <laughs> hui hui. <laughs>